Welcome to this episode of Tell Me More, where we talk about family. What is it in the Bible? How are we good friends? And how do we how do we make good friendships at our church? Um, we think it's valuable, and we're glad you're listening. Well, we're talking today about Dr. Dennis Wiles' sermon yesterday on families. And so I thought it might be fun. Okay, one, I want you to answer this question for me. Okay. Those at home, they hate that I'm doing this. What am I crinkling? What is it? <laughs> I can see it. <laughs> Luke said, don't do that. And I, <laughs> and I, I said, mm, I'm going to do it anyway. <laughs> uh, here's a hint. It's a, it's a, it's a dollar bill. It's a U.S. It's a US currency. Mm. But for those at home... Of what denomination? Ooh. How much? Are you going to give it to them if they guess correctly? No, because there's only like five choices. <laughs> no, I have triplets. It's going back in my pocket. The real question. But uh, send your answers to katie.hodges at fbca.org. Got it. Thank you. The real question is, we're talking about families and friends, and I thought it would be fun, as it always is for me, to ask you all, who was your childhood best friend? And what is your favorite memory with them? Mm. Yep. Mm. Ooh, wow. That is a good question. Well, the first one's easy for me. My my childhood best friend was Mark Hobbs. Mark Hobbs. Mark Hobbs lived okay. <clears throat> part of my growing we we lived in two or three houses in the same little community um growing up. And so on two separate occasions I lived right across the street from Mark. And uh we uh yeah, we were we were thick, man. <clears throat> same age, same school, same church. Um, you know, just did life together. We had uh, one year for Christmas. My parents gave me a set of walkie-talkies. How exciting! And yes, and you know, back in those days, um, you know, pretty much every afternoon we were fighting the Germans in our neighborhood because we were playing out World War II. Mm. So, mm. And we had woods around our house, mm. and we had an old car. I mean, we're in Alabama, so we had to have an old car parked in the back that actually had, you know, kudzu growing over it. It was kind of a requirement. Somebody in the neighborhood had to have one of those, so it was ours. And um, so <clears throat> that was like a, a tank, and you know, uh, or it was a, an enemy camp, you know, to be bombed or whatever. So when we got the walkie-talkies, the cool thing was – they were strong enough for Mark to go home with his and be in his bedroom at no night and way. me in my bedroom, my house at night, and we could actually talk to each other. That's so, amazing. Yeah. That, that was, was really cool. That's a memory for us. Uh, yeah. yeah. We that's did a, big, a lot. We made a lot of plans. That's a big deal. About <laughs> about how old were you when you got the walkie-talkies? Uh, I was probably about eight. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> that's Dreams. Cool. Yeah. Dreams. Luke, what about you? Oh, man. I had a really good kind of tight-knit friend group. So if any of them by chance are listening, I'm very sorry that I'm going to pick a favorite. <laughs> uh, but I probably spent the most time with and would say that my childhood best friend was this guy named Keegan. Keegan. It's time that you drew a line in the sand. It is. And uh, so to the rest of— All those other losers. All the people in the Bolivar Besties <laughs> Facebook group. Sorry. There is a Facebook group. For y'all. Um, I'm yeah. sorry. Such a millennial. Your best friend's name <laughs> Keegan. Okay, got it. <laughs> Uh, we didn't have any Keegans in my group. You know, so <laughs> Keegan was homeschooled. I was not, but we lived in a small town. I grew up in the Ozarks, and so we just spent all our time outside. And, you know, when we were younger, that mostly just involved running around in fields and forests and mm-hmm. digging up 
little springs and trying to find caves because I grew up in those arcs, so caves are everywhere. Um, How cool. And then when you got, say Missouri, I think of like farmland. I mean, there's a lot of that too, uh, but like I grew up. Blowing you know, my mind. In the Ozark Mountains. Blowing so, my mind. Lots of, I mean, they're not big mountains, but. No, I do watch Ozark, so I've got a good view of that. Yeah. So, I mean, that's. But, so, when you say Ozark, Ozarka, one thing. So when you say Missouri, another thing. I, yes. need, to, I need to merge these, <laughs> these memories in my mind. So, uh, but as we got older, you know, more independent, we would go kayaking on the Palm de Terre River. Uh, this go, sounds delightful. Wow. Rock climbing, your, spelunking. Your childhood sounds like a. It was great. Like a honeymoon. Um, so, but Keegan's philosophy of fun was it's not fun if you're not suffering a little bit. So we oh, didn't go, you dear. know, kayaking in mm. June. We went kayaking in January in Missouri. Um, just really fun stuff. How, now, how old were you when you were doing that? Oh, like 14, 15. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, but I did that. It was great. I loved, loved, loved my childhood outside. It was fun. I love it. So Keegan, I miss the rivers, miss the mountains. Keegan and the adventure of outdoors, those arcs. Lots of suffering, but lots of fun. My childhood best friend. I moved when I was eleven, so before that, my best friend. Her name was Sunny. Sunny Day. That was her middle name. Sunny Day Smith. They did that on purpose. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And that would be if she's listening. Uh, we can all say that her her parents would definitely do that on purpose. I, it's funny, when y'all mentioned going to school together, I'm sure we did go to school together. Like, I, I guess that's how we met. But all my memories are, like, at her house or in her neighborhood because she lived in the same neighborhood with, I guess, all of our friends were from school. But yeah, I have no core memories at the elementary school. They're all from running around the neighborhood. But her neighborhood, and I remember we would climb over some back fences and end up at other people's houses. And one of her fr- neighbors had uh, not a round trampoline like many of us had, but a rectangle trampoline. Ooh. Like yes. in the Olympics. And we would go bounce on that one. And I thought, man, we have arrived. We are on, we are, we're going to make it to the Olympics because we're on Olympic-sized trampoline. Mm. Sunny Smith. Yeah, I just remember a lot of times at her house. It was fun. Her mom would make us coffee, but it was like 98% milk with like a splash of coffee. And I thought I was really cool too. So, childhood. Yeah, all the way through high school. And so... We played every sport together too, baseball, football, basketball, mostly on the same teams. But he ended up being just an incredible football player in our high school. He mm-hmm. was our middle linebacker, captain the football team, and he would literally take your head off. He he was that guy. Well, you just mm-hmm. didn't want to get hit by Mark Hobbs. And so when I was a sophomore, we were terrible. And our coach got really mad at us because he felt like we weren't physical enough. So one week we get to practice and he just says, okay, I'm not going to have a whistle this week. You can just hit any time you want to. It doesn't matter. Somebody's walking back to the huddle. Somebody's standing on the sideline. I'm just tired of y'all not hitting. So people were just getting pummeled, you know? Yes. And I'd had a little bit of an altercation with one of our defensive linemen oh, over a girl. Tell me more. And I was uh, I was quarterback. And I, I was, were you? Uh, I was. And I, oh, I weighed, about a, that in. I weighed about 150 pounds. And so uh, mm. I was quite a specimen. What other accolade? <laughs> okay, so, follow-up question coming, I, same, so coming anyway, soon. <laughs> so I'm walking back to the huddle, and this lineman who's a little frustrated with me over a situation just a situation kills me. With a girl. I mean, just, just kills me. And he stands over me. I'm laying on the ground. He stands over me. He's pointing his finger at me. He's, all right, Wiles, I'm tired of you, you know, doing whatever. And I, I'm just looking at him. All of a sudden, he turns around, and Mark is on defense. Mark is, a, is the captain of the defense. 
Mark just destroys this guy, knocks his helmet off and his glasses off. That's a good friend. And Mark looks around and says, anybody else hits wilds? This is what you're getting. And I'm laying on the ground, and I was like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what he said. <laughs> so we were best friends. So uh, Truly. That's awesome. We ditched the walkie-talkies by the end, but uh, oh, yeah. But every, anyway. every once in a while, anyway, still. <laughs> where, can I ask where he is now? Is he still with well, us? Well, believe it or not, Mark ended up being a um, police officer undercover police officer and uh, in the Birmingham area and um, did, was actually in a very famous case there. There was a huge case where they actually um, indicted a, a judge for corruption and Mark wow. was the undercover wow. cop that broke all that. Wow. But he died recently, he had MS, oh. and um, mm-hmm. so he's uh, he died about a year ago. Okay. But he's written a book about his journey and um, anyway, great guy. But uh, anyway, yeah, you didn't want you didn't want to meet him on the football field though. No, it doesn't sound so, like it. No. Anyway. Well, so it's so fun. Friends. Our, in the end of my segment, which is the opener, <laughs> our friends shape us so much, they even do. at they that do. age. They even do. at that age, they, they form who we are. Mm-hmm. But that's all. Yeah. All right. Thanks for joining us. <laughs> that's my profound thought of the day. That's right. We do. We could sing "Friends Are Friends Forever." We talked about that, but yeah, I, in yeah. harmony. Yeah. And no. <laughs> Okay. We will Luke, w- just br- bring us back down. save that experience bring for another time. <laughs> so one of the things uh, that you talked about, it wasn't in your main text, but you returned us to someone. You gave this kind of encouragement mm-hmm. to our graduating seniors of you know choosing mm-hmm. Psalm 1 friends. And mm-hmm. we both discussed if you could talk more about how do, you, how do you find Psalm 1 friends and then what should our friendships with non-Christians, non-Psalm 1 people look like? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, that's a great question. And it, and it is something I did want to point out to these graduating seniors, <clears throat> because as we all know, most of them are going off to college. Not all mm-hmm. of them, but most of them. And um, there's going to be an opportunity to um, just make connections that will, I think, be life-shaping for most of them. I think about when I made it to college, I grew, I grew up in Birmingham, went to college in Birmingham. So it was a little different for me, but I was still meeting new people that I'd never known before. And um, and so I just wanted to encourage them and all of us to be thoughtful about who gets invited to the very um, core of our lives. That's that's really what I think Psalm 1 is about, that you don't walk in the counsel of the wicked. You know, you don't stand with the sinners. You don't mm-hmm. sit with the scoffers. In other words— you don't allow them. You, you can kind of hear the digression from, you know, walking to standing to sitting when, to me, the message of the gospel, the blessed person is a progressing person. That's kind of the—it's actually part of the core meaning of that word that means blessed in that text, at least. And so the idea that your friends can, if you allow them to, can pull you backwards and away from the things of God. Mm-hmm. You know, it's kind of like that um, sometimes every once in a while at youth camp, they'll do that little skit where they'll have— two people up on the platform and one person down on the floor. And they'll, uh, if y'all have ever seen them do that, and we've done it at youth camp several times. And so you talk about what's easier to do for these two people to pull this one person on the platform or this one person to pull these two people down off the platform. Well, it's easier to pull for the one person to pull the two down. You know, if he's mm-hmm. got a hold of their hands, he'll jerk them down I real quickly. I have never seen this skit. Oh, have you not? I have not. But yeah. I'm visualizing it. We, You've we, done a good job. Yeah, I, I see it. I, I've used that several times to just say, you know, it is really easy for one person to grab two of you and just pull you down from where you are. And so that downward spiral can happen if you're not careful. 
So I think on the one hand, we should all have friends who are ungodly and who are not <laughs> wise in their choices and who are lost, and we need to cultivate those relationships with them Amen. as bridges, you know, obviously. Our, and our, I think our community engagement, guys. Yes, we, have to, we should live in that, in that way. But I don't go to those people for the counsel of, of my own life about how I'm supposed to make decisions and and how I'm going to understand the things of God. Mm. That's reserved for people who really do share my same commitments and my same values. And so that's what I would say. I think we're, we have to be thoughtful about who gets pulled in the inside. You know, um, there's several people who, you know, all the things I've read through the years where people, different writers I've read, talk about how you just build the core of your life. Um, you know, even things like if, if you if you imagine your heart having private rooms, you know, how do you decorate, so to speak, those private rooms and who, who gets to help you do that? Mm-hmm. That's where I think we exercise great caution. You mm-hmm. know, we invite people in that that are um, godly, who, who care about the things that we care about and ultimately care about us in the best way. <clears throat> That's why I like that quote from Oscar Wilde, your your real friends stab you in the front. You know, mm-hmm. the idea that they will help you deal with things that really matter in your mm-hmm. life. So I, I think we should cultivate friendships on multiple levels, and some of them need to be with, certainly with lost people. We need to live engagement with and engaging relationships with lost people and do that intentionally, in my opinion. And it's, it's almost right. like in our culture, you don't have to be all that intentional about it because lost people are everywhere. <laughs> so right. You can, mm-hmm. you can find enough commonality with lost people, I believe, to build those relationships so that those bridges towards spiritual conversations can happen. Here's, but, a, here's a good plug for missional habits. Mm-hmm. Missional habits. Bless. Co- copyright. Luke's yeah. Luke Stare. Well, it's not copyright me. Right. Michael Frost. Copyright Luke, Copyright Michael Frost interpreted for First Baptist by copyright Luke Stare. That's right. <laughs> exactly. Because I think that's important. But the core friendship, just like right now, I have just a handful of core friends they are the ones I'm going to go to if there is a crisis, if there is um, the need for counsel, if there's the desire for wisdom, if there's the need for true, honest conversation about what's happening in my life. I'm only going to go to the people that I know walk with the Lord, are committed to His authority in their life, believe um, strongly in the in the things that I believe in and are committed to. Those are the folks that that I'm going to go to. They've been invited on the inside of my life. And Mm -hmm. that, to me, is a Psalm 1 kind of admonition. Mm -hmm. And I certainly wanted our graduates to give that some thought because, you know, going to college, they're going to have just some fun relationships. And and I think this is going to be the time for them to learn how to sort, to learn which one of those are really valuable, which ones become toxic, which Mm -hmm. ones, you know, might be need to be pushed to the periphery of their lives. Because I do think, as I said to them, um, at this point in their lives, those friends are going to shape so much about how they do life, mm-hmm. you know, because they're learning, they're going to be learning a new way of relating to their parents that's going to take shape over the next two or three years. I mean, you know that, Katie, you were mm-hmm. our college minister. Mm-hmm. And depending on how you cultivate the right friendships, that those friends will even influence that relationship, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. And so I just think it's really important. I want them to hear that from that's the good. pastor. You I know? think it's a great practical lesson. <clears throat> like a word. As yeah. they go off. Okay, Luke asked this. We don't know. Luke mentioned earlier, friendships are a lost art. Is that how you worded that? Making friendship is a lost think, art? Yeah, I think friendship is a lost art in our culture. Because mm-hmm. I observe some older, maybe my parents' age or a little bit younger, 
friends in our church who really figured out how to raise their kids together, mm-hmm. be there for each other. Mm-hmm. They are at First Baptist because they just have this deep network and net of mm-hmm. family. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying we don't have it, but I think it's harder to figure out mm-hmm. as millennials. Mm-hmm. So yeah. yeah, I wonder why that is. Tell us everything. Teach us. <laughs> I wonder why that is because I think you're right in some ways. And I don't I don't know that I've ever really thought through it enough to decide what I think about it. Do you I'm just think, observing and watching. I'm speculating as well, truly speculating. So for those listening, this is not premeditated. This is not the result of deep theological <laughs> reflection. No, we, but we are characterized by, you know, stereotypically characterized by busyness mm-hmm. as a millennial yeah. um, culture. And I wonder if the the norm of the dual, the dual income earner, you know, it keeps us very, very busy because mm-hmm. there's not a stay-at-home spouse mm-hmm. in the yeah. mix with a lot of people I've observed in the friendships of of yesteryear. There kind of was that, that mm-hmm. maybe could be more available to plan and have margin for social or to hold things together, where now that's a, a luxury that most can't afford, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, and I, I think, I too, know. as I've watched it play out, I would also say, though, that I think that as I watch the generations behind me, I think children and children's activities and all that serve as the bridges, though, for for some of those core relationships to begin to develop and emerge. Um, because I've just watched it here at our church and and just, you know, people that I know, uh, I've watched them kind of unite around common causes with their children. And because uh, it puts you in proximity to each other for a period of time, mm-hmm. you know, so you're going to gymnastics practice and you're sitting for an hour with five parents who are doing right. the very same thing. And um, when Cindy and I used to do that, we did that before the age of cell phones. So if you think about it, you know, you you didn't have just this instrument in your hand that you could, you know, work or play or communicate with or whatever. You just mm-hmm. were there. So if, unless you brought a book or, you, you know, you brought some work to do, sometimes you were just— <laughs> You, you were just there. You were just there. Mm-hmm. And uh, and we just struck up conversations with people, got to know people. And um, I, I do think that that's still something that's happening, and it offers mm-hmm. us opportunities. And 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 I think it, it also opens the door for a really diverse set of friendships to emerge because you just encounter people from so many different walks of life. I was thinking the other day, we, we were at a school event with um, Ada. Ada's little choir was singing. And uh, and we got there a little bit early. Cindy and I did, and we were just sitting there. And I was just amazed at the. <laughs> I don't know anything else would have brought that would have brought that diverse of a crowd together mm. for an hour mm-hmm. than that school choir. And so we had. I did a conversation to a couple guys next to me, very different than I am. Um, but my granddaughter was their their son and daughter, but my granddaughter um, happened to be in the same choir. Mm. And um, and I just thought, in there, since you struck up conversation, you just start talking and finding out things about people, and not that we necessarily became friends, but I, but I was just thinking, this is kind of how this happens now, you know, as much as anything. I think, um, I think hopefully the church provides that space for y'all's mm-hmm. age group mm-hmm. to learn how to do that and cultivate deep relationships with each other. I also wonder about the whole concept of mobility and what that's done to us. I think we're much more mobile society than we used to be. And that might create some... Um, what do you mean by mobility? 
Well, as people move around with jobs from place to place mm. more. Mm-hmm. More, tra- know, more transient in that yeah, way? Yeah, they, they, you know, um, <clears throat> granted, we all are in, in ministry, so it's a little different for us because mm-hmm. you— it's not that uncommon for us. You know, you grew up in a minister's home, Luke, so yeah. you had a little bit of that that was just done to you because of your dad, you know. Um, and that's happened to Hannah and Josiah because of my profession. But I think that's much more common now, just people moving for jobs and those mm-hmm. kinds of things. And so when they move and start to look for community, if they're Christians, we hope they'll find that in the church. And and we have some of that in our church. We have families. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, we do. We do. Our Even our age, we do. For yeah. people that have, some of them don't necessarily have the generational connections in this community mm-hmm. because they've moved mm-hmm. for work or for opportunity or for school, whatever, and, and find find life. You know, I was teasing several of the graduates yesterday as they were coming by, going off to school, just reminding them, you know, you don't have to live there the rest of your life. You can come back home, <laughs> you know, <laughs> but who knows where they'll end up, you mm-hmm. know. Um, but I think that's also a part of it. Maybe that creates a little bit of um, uncertainty, if you will. I'm not sure. Yeah. Um, I think we'll have to figure all that out. But yeah. what I love is in the Scripture, you know, that it was, I know it was just a short text yesterday, but I love the imagery that John introduces right off the bat about life and new birth and family mm-hmm. and familial language. Yeah. And, and that's going to be woven through the text as he tells this story. Mm-hmm. So I think it's intentional, you know, that it's there. Yeah. Um, for but the, also think for those insightful. listening, <clears throat> as a reminder, it's that we'll become children of God, not by birth, right? but by the will of God. That's, that's right. worded. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So yeah. not, not by human d- decision, but when you become, when you believe in him, when you choose to accept Christ, and you have life in his name, you're also, you have the right now to become the children of God. And so that, to me, offers a friendly environment for Christians mm-hmm. to develop relationships and friendships that hopefully are going to to shape their lives. And you're right, Katie, I, I've been at this church 22 years, so I've watched a lot of relationships form here. I've also had the privilege of watching relationships that were forged way before I showed up here mm-hmm. that are still lived out you know, that are still sources of blessing to mm-hmm. these people in front of me and mm-hmm. sharing life, sharing life celebrations, and they rejoicing. Do. And they and, provide such yeah. scaffolding and mm-hmm. support yeah. for these so good. people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I want yeah. that for everybody. Right. And it and it's it is purposeful. It has that's why I tried to say just briefly Sunday morning that that community we have is actually connected to our commitments. You know, it's that we don't just gather for gathering's sake. I mean, we gather purposefully. We're a missional community, so there are some things we hold in common. Just like last night, we're, um, we have this business meeting last night, and one of the reports in the business meeting was from our Great Commission Council. And, and one of the reports from the field where we work is in a place in West Africa where uh, there is now <clears throat> some new expressions of persecution that we have not experienced at this level with our partners there up until this point. And um, and so the, the people who are part of this village community where we've been working for a long time have decided that Christianity is a threat to their their secret societies and the, the performance of, of witchcraft and those kinds of things. And so they have targeted the children of believers, and they have kidnapped 85 of them now, mm. 85 boys. Well, last night, uh, when we announced that, and and you know, and Cindy came up and prayed over it, uh, the situation. It was interesting last night, just sitting at the table. How many people in our church came by to just say, 
you, we just, first of all, we're burdened, we're sad, devastated, but we, we support you know, our missionaries there, and we want to pray. Mm-hmm. And so we want you to know we're putting this in our prayer group. We're putting this in our Bible study prayer group. We're putting this in our Monday morning prayer group. We're, I'm sending this out to my friend group. I mean, it was like all of a sudden this whole network that really was connected to friendships, but those friendships grew out of a common commitment here, missional mm-hmm. commitment right. to live this way, all of a sudden just emerged right in front of us. Mm-hmm. You know, and now you've got this huge network of people today that are informed about something that's happening on the other side of the world, but is uh, but it's it's a like you said it's a, it's a it's a structure it's a beautiful thing to behold and it and it unites us. You know, we're not just hanging out together. We are, but we're we're purposefully engaged in life together and the things that we think matter. Mm-hmm. That that really helps develop deep friendships. I think purpose. Yeah, so, deeper. Yeah, mm-hmm. that would be my take. You know, and the church offers that at a level that I don't believe anything else does. Mm. When done right. When done correctly. And one of the things you talked about yesterday is how rare—this sounds self-promoting, and we don't mean it that way, but how rare churches like ours are in this political landscape because things are so polarized Mm -hmm. that churches are drifting Mm -hmm. to become kind um, of—what's the right word? Monocultural, mm-hmm. mono mm-hmm. Towards one pole or the other. Yeah, mm-hmm. what's the word for that? Right. Polarized. Yeah, polarized. Yeah. So it's disappointing mm-hmm. because I think it is in friendship that you learn the other side and can mm-hmm. stay together. But if you're not rubbing mm-hmm. shoulders with people mm-hmm. that are different than you, right? where would you do that in that yeah. way? Yeah, the, the, Church the, can be the, yeah, the grounds the, the for that. The ability to hold some things in tension, to live with a little bit of um, ambiguity on some things. And to be able to be connected to people who you love and, as as I said, you have developed life with, there's enough core commitment to hold this thing together, but there's enough flexibility to allow the differences of opinions to be expressed. That's just a healthy way to do life, mm-hmm. I believe, and it's certainly a healthy way to do church. Mm-hmm. And, and if you think about it, there was a time— when churches were just so geographically based, that was really the only option. I mean, if you if you lived in a certain community, you weren't going to to drive or travel. If you go back historically, you weren't going to travel very far. This was just your church, and it mm-hmm. was going to be filled with people who may have very different views than you do. Right. But you had to learn how to live together. Mm-hmm. We've kind of softened that a little bit in our culture, you know, to where you can kind of just travel from one thing to another. Um, I would say that it's healthy to be in a place where there is that diversity of opinion and perspective as long as it's underneath biblical authority and we're all committed to the lordship of Christ in our own lives and our commitment to that as a church. But there's still a lot of room for, you know, for diversity and particularly, you know, so, so for example, Tim Keller just died. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, well, Tim Keller and I would disagree about some things theologically. Tim Keller was a Calvinist. He was very reformed in his thinking. Um, but he was not abrasive in in how he Such carried a himself. Gentle, yes. charitable a, spirit. Oh my goodness! Seriously, may his tribe increase. And what an anomaly in the world that we're in today. I mean, Keller was just not—he's not a charged personality, thoughtful, cerebral, godly. And what I loved about Keller was, even though I disagreed with him about Calvinism, and I, I disagree, I disagree with him about complementarianism. He's a much harder complementarian than I would be considered to be. But regardless, 
I love the generosity of his spirit. So when he would be pressed about things, people would say to him, there he is in New York in Manhattan. I mean, my goodness, he's in this, this, um, <laughs> this very focused place, if you will, a cauldron of all kinds of diverse opinions. And people would say, okay, so which direction do we need to go politically? How do, how do, what do we need to do here? And Keller would just say, well, what you could do is you could go this way and you could believe that having a larger government and having more social programs and addressing things that way with higher taxes and more responsibility, that's, that's probably a legitimate approach to this. Or you could argue that, well, actually a smaller government, more personal responsibility, more local control, less um, um, social programs sponsored by the government, more of that being community-related. Well, you could go that way. So in other words, he's basically saying, well, you could be a Democrat or you could be a Republican. And then he would always end by saying, you know, the Scripture doesn't really just tell us which way, but the Scripture does command us to care for the poor. And so you decide, well, that would just drive people crazy because they'd go, why don't you just tell us? You're so smart, you know, and you're so gentle. Would you just tell us what to do? And he just refused to do it because he learned how to live with that tension. And consequently, look how large his voice became. I mean, people were just drawn to him from all walks of life. So, Mm -hmm. you know, sometimes when I'm reading someone that has a real strident view that's different than mine theologically— I have a hard time finding any good in anything else they say. Mm-hmm. You know, I'll confess that. I'll just go, well, you know, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm having a trouble here. I've tried to learn to be mm-hmm. more generous mm-hmm. and realize that just because I may disagree about this one thing, maybe I can agree on others. Keller just modeled that for me mm-hmm. in, in a way on a national scale that I right now I can't think of another pastor theologian who was really like that. Maybe Eugene Peterson would maybe be in that camp. John Stott would have been in my day, you know, when I was younger. John Stott had that generosity of spirit about him. Mm. But Keller's kind of a dying breed because so many of the other voices are so loud, and and they end up with overtones that you can't help sometimes but feel that have political connotations. And I just love that Tim Keller modeled something very different for all of us as as pastors and leaders. And so— um, I, I feel like, I, you know, I did I, on one of my sabbaticals, I went and studied it at Redeemer Church, and b- lo and behold, he had the audacity to be on sabbatical while I was on sabbatical. <laughs> I never did understand that. You'd um, think he'd get his schedule together and know yeah, that I'm coming. Wouldn't he know? Yeah. But, but but I worked with Kathleen Leary Alsdorf, who was on his staff and had been with him from the very beginning. I, I think she's one of the people who helped start the church. And um, she oversaw their faith and work division. Incredible lady. Um, but, man, she was so— she was a good friend of Keller's and so admired him. And I remember after listening to her, thinking to myself, if I had the opportunity, I think Tim and I would be good friends. Mm. <laughs> I think we view the world very similarly in terms of how we think we want to address the ills of our society. So I would have found some kinship there. Mm-hmm. I have found that kind of kinship with pastors that that I'm, I feel like have that similar spirit, you mm. know, for mm-hmm. me. Yes. So um, cause that, that's really how I try to engage if I can, Mm -hmm. you know, do it in a generous way Mm -hmm. uh, without surrendering your convictions, you know, because I I think the kind of friends that I like are the kind of friends that, that understand there's a right way to do the right thing. Um, I've sometimes I part ways with with people whose only desire is do the right thing in whatever way you have to do it. Mm -hmm. I just, I just can't go there and I have a hard time partnering with people that I think want to do the wrong thing. <laughs> so I'm always mm-hmm. looking for people that want to do the right thing in the right way. Yeah. That matches my my core. The ends rarely justify the means right. for mm-hmm. me. Yeah. 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 And Jesus was so good at it. You know, 
And Jesus cultivated friends. I mean, what would you call the apostles? Were they a family? I mean, they left everything, and the next thing you know, they're just hanging out together pretty much all the time, purposefully. I mean, he renamed, he re, he, what am I trying to say? Renames what family is. Yeah. I mean, he says, who is my brother? That's right. Who is my, you know. Well, then I think the list of names that we tend to gloss over in Paul's letters are also, especially, I think, of Philippians. Oh, my goodness. This is an example of family. Yes. I agree. Um, I think one thing I'm thinking about is kind of turning this towards the practical. And one of the questions I've been, I think, wrestling through, and I would want to issue this as a challenge. If you're someone in our church or if you're not in our church, I think one of your duties as a Christian thinking about cultivating spiritual friendship in church, which is what we're talking about, Mm -hmm. is ultimately what we're asking you to do and calling you to do is create places of belonging. So to make space where people can belong and come into. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. That's both. Dr. Wells worded it yesterday, but becoming hosts Mm -hmm. to these families. So it's a little bit of... If you're not finding one, be one. Be a host. Yeah. Yeah. Make yeah. It. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, especially in this age of mobility, we've talked mm-hmm. in past episodes about the epidemic of loneliness. The CDC has now right. called loneliness an epidemic. So be people of Christ who create spaces where people can belong and come into, mm-hmm. um, whether that's in your home, whether that's at our church, but open open up room mm-hmm. in your life for more people. Mm-hmm. Um in of ways. I know. I'm, I'm, I'm dreaming over here. My wheels are turning because we're, we, we're um, under contract on a new home. Y'all know this, mm-hmm. I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, listeners, now you know it. <laughs> and it's across the street from the Hollanders, uh-huh. church members, uh-huh. on a pretty small street. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, it doesn't go on forever. Mm-hmm. And I wonder what mm-hmm. two committed families on one street mm-hmm. can do mm-hmm. to create, you know, if, if loneliness is an epidemic, right. then statistically— there's probably somebody on my street that could really use a friend. Mm-hmm. And we have these little friend magnets in the triplets. Mm-hmm. I mean, people can't leave us alone. Mm-hmm. And how could God use that <laughs> mm-hmm. with great people like the Hollanders That's across right. the street that are, they know how to do life. They know Indeed. how to open their home. That's right. You know, exactly. so I just wonder mm-hmm. how you can start where you are, you know. And and, and, I, and I think that's a great word, Katie, to think about it intentionally. And I would also say <clears throat> one of the things that I think we've done, Cindy and I, through the years, because we've also tried to be intentional about it being multi-generational. Mm-hmm. So we have friends who are way older than us who um, we've just learned so much from. Mm-hmm. We have friends who are younger than us. We've tried to to leave that door open because I think there's just a lot to be shared across those generations. Mm-hmm. And I, I love the fact that we have a pretty diverse group of folks that we would consider friends that are that are that are in life circumstances that are very different than ours, and uh, now we have some, you know, kind of our best friends live over in Dallas, and they're in the same life situation. Mm-hmm. We have new grandkids, and their kids are grown, and we've pretty much raised our kids together through the years. And they were in our church back in Garland, so we've known them a long time. Um, and their go-to, I mean, if and what I love about them is we cannot have anything. They live in Dallas, we live here. They've got a life, we have a life, and you know, there's something. Sometimes we're very busy, and all of a sudden we'll just make a random phone call and we'll meet somewhere over in Dallas for dinner. And it's just like we were talking last night. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just, that's just how we are. We just live that way and yeah. we're so deeply connected. I think that's a sign um, of good friendship yeah, in my is. life. Yeah. But we're the same age, same, yeah. you know, everything is very, it feels very similar. Mm-hmm. But we've got friends here in this church who are older than us that we love to go over and see them and listen mm-hmm. to them. And um, we love to 
fellowship with them. We have younger ones that come to our house and, you know, just brings fresh energy and different perspectives. And there are times when we go, oh, man, you hadn't thought about that, you know, about how that hit somebody like you, you Mm -hmm. know. So I think that's helpful, too, to reach out beyond your what your normal go-to might be. Yeah. We have a lot of friends that are not our age in this church, just from life circumstance and Mm Right now, well, this last season, they're coming to help the babies, and it's been— <laughs> you got lots of grandmas. We do. We, we call them the young, the young grandmas, cool, cool grandmas. <laughs> you know, Which is great for them, too, you know? Well, we enjoy it. In yeah. fact, tonight, uh, I think I think Beth Stearns is on the docket tonight. Yeah. Talk about good friends, people yeah, who know, yeah. how, know how to be friends. Right. Yeah. yeah. So. Yeah. And I, I just think it's—friendships uh, just, to me, enrich your life so much. But I would, again, say I, I, I think you're— the core ones, though, we're just thoughtful about who they really are because I do think they have a profound impact upon us. And maybe even the the self-reflection, what kind of friend are we? You know, are, are, what kind of friends yes. are we? Are we, mm-hmm. are we the kind of friends that are shaping, blessing, encouraging people in the yeah. right direction? There's also yeah. the need for us to think about ourselves. You know? There is. Well, the best I, way to make a friend is to be a friend. Yeah. I don't. Uh, we probably need to land the plane soon, we right? Probably Luke? do. Well, okay. But I have two things really quick. One, I heard this quote once, and I don't even know if it's true, but it's compelling that you become an average of the five people you spend the most time with. <laughs> Never heard that. I don't know, but if it is true, <laughs> think about it. Who do you? I mean, because it is. You know, you kind of uh, that makes yeah. sense to me. Yeah. You, you even start talking like mm-hmm. or whatever. The second thing is, um, uh, Doctor Wells, I have to correct one thing you said yesterday. Please do in the sermon. You mentioned many on-screen best friend couples, you know, yeah. um, Lucy and Ethel. Yeah. You mentioned right. the friends. Right. Uh, but you mentioned the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, yeah. Will Smith. Yeah. And you said his best friend was Carlton. Yeah. However, yeah. Carlton was his cousin. Yeah, that's right. And they often didn't get along. But right. he did have a best friend on that show. Yeah. Do you remember his name? No. I J- never watched Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. Jazz. His best friend's name was Jazz. Well, thank you for that correction. <laughs> and I just, I just feel like if we're going to be a church of integrity, I'm just kidding. <laughs> we need to keep these facts straight, don't we? Yeah. I saw Carlton Crucial. play golf the other day. By the way, he's, uh, he's like uh, Alfonso. Alfonso Rivera. Rivera. He does yeah. like. Is he doing America's Funniest Home Videos now? He's does posting he? something. He kind of had a, he kind of had a revival when he did the Dancing if you with know the Stars. What Alfonso. Yeah. He does. Ruby, Ribera, Ribiera. Yeah. If you know how to say his last name yeah. and what he's hosting. Katie Dot Hodges. Katie Dot Hodges at FBC. But, yeah. but he's enough of a celebrity that he played in this golf tournament over in Dallas the other day in the celebrity tournament. How fun. Larry the Cable Guy and I don't know who all, but he was there and I recognized him. I think Dolly him. Parton wow. was there. Wow, okay. No, she no, wasn't was in the else. tournament. That was the awards. It wasn't in the tournament. I'm getting off on She was stuff. there for the Country Music Awards, but uh, yeah. So, yeah. yeah, anyway, but yeah, he was there. Dolly was and in they, Dallas. They, they, I um, can't get over it. I got to go. <laughs> I got to go right now. There people there that knew Carlton. Yeah, that's, I mean, and he, he can't outlive that. That is his yeah. defining role. Yeah. So. Still has that look. <laughs> anyway, God so bless he was him. actually a family. Well, he wasn't even a family. He was a cousin. He was family. Okay, good. No R. Family. Jazz, family. Okay. All right, good. Thank you. I stand and we all corrected know. humbly. Yeah. Humbly Cousins so. are just a different <laughs> ball game. <laughs> That's another, another episode, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, everyone, thanks so much for listening and being with us today. Um, go make a friend. Go, go be a friend. Go be a go friend. Go be friendly. Host the, a family. Drive best, friendly. Ready, set, go. That's the way to be a friend. Make a friend is to be a friend. Amen. And with Amen. that, we will close. Yeah.
Thanks for listening to the Tell Me More podcast today. You can subscribe to this podcast on your app of choice, or you can visit us at fbca.org to find out more information about the podcast and our church. Thanks for listening. Have a good day.